in his remarkably convicting book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, Puritan minister Jeremiah Burroughs makes the, the following observation about uh, the, the trials and challenges that we face and our kind of outlook on them. So Burroughs writes, A wicked man wonders that his cross is so much. A godly man wonders that his cross is not more. At present, uh, we all have better than we deserve, and yet we complain and grumble. Grumbling and complaining is expressing our our dissatisfaction with a circumstance, a a person or an, an object. Inherent in grumbling and complaining is a sense of, of deserving better than what we have received from that circumstance, person, or thing. In order to complain, we have to uh, kind of elevate ourselves to the position where we can authoritatively judge that something is not up to our standards. The truth is, is that we all complain. We, um, we complain about the weather. <laughs> We complain about life's difficulties. We complain about many things. And we all know, even in the back of our minds while we're complaining, that we really shouldn't complain. There's just this nagging sense, I I shouldn't be saying this. But we do. And grumbling and complaining, it, it grows out of a heart with misplaced desires, and priorities and values. We all, from time to time, express misplaced desires, priorities, and values. We all misjudge our circumstances and what we really deserve and are entitled to. This phenomenon is not new to us. Uh, the, the art of complaining has been around for a long time. And this morning, as we study Numbers chapters 16 and 17, It is my prayer that we will learn how the Lord views our grumbling and complaining. I pray that we will grow in our understanding of what is at the heart of grumbling. Soberly consider the end of grumbling. And remember that there is hope for those who do grumble. So if you haven't done so earlier, let me encourage you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 16. This morning we're especially looking at two chapters, Numbers chapter 16 and 17. And if you're following along what the Bible's provided, you can find the passage on page 124. 124. While you're turning there, allow me to remind us of where we are in the book of Numbers, what we've studied so far. Uh, the book of Numbers opens with the people of Israel preparing for a journey through the wilderness in the hopes of making it into the promised land, the, the land that the Lord had promised to give Abraham and his offspring. We've studied Israel's preparation for that journey. We've seen them set out on their journey. We've even seen them make it to the edge of the promised land and rebel against the Lord's command to enter. The Lord said, go in. And the people of Israel said, on second thought, no, we don't want to go in. And the Lord, so he, in judgment, instructs them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until, in his mercy, he raises up a new generation who will enter the land. Uh, Last week, we concluded our study of Numbers 15, where in the face of Israel's rebellion, the Lord reassured His people of His love for them. The Lord reminded them that it was His desire 
for His people to be holy. The Lord warned His people not to follow after the desires of their own hearts and their eyes, but instead to delight in His laws and walk in His ways. In Numbers chapter 16 and 17, sadly we see that the people of Israel are indeed inclined to follow after the desires of their hearts and eyes. As we see the reemergence of grumbling, this grumbling reminds us that God has purpose to bless and redeem and save an ungrateful people. These instances of complaining and grumbling that emerge in these chapters, they all follow the same pattern. There are three instances or occasions of grumbling in these two chapters. But these instances follow a similar pattern. And because they do, I want to tell the whole story of Numbers 16 and 17. And after that, I want us to come back and reflect on the heart of grumbling, the end of grumbling, and the hope of those who grumble. So if it seems like my first point is long, that's because it is. But take heart, the ones that follow are not as long. First, let's uh, consider the, the cycle of grumbling. This is the first point for those of you taking notes, the cycle of grumbling. In these two chapters, in Numbers 16 and 17, we're considering three occasions of grumbling. These three occasions of grumbling walk through the same pattern, as I said. They begin with an instance of contempt for God and His chosen leaders. They progress with a confrontation which escalates into a condemnation to be followed by a confirmation of the innocent. So I've tried to lay out these three occasions of grumbling and their pattern in the handout provided, the sermon outline there. You'll notice, what you'll notice is that one instance, the first instance of grumbling begins, that's Korah's rebellion. And then the author pauses to introduce another occasion of grumbling, that of Dathan and Abiram's rebellion. He does this because their rebellion is really one and the same. And, and that's why the condemnation and the confirmation portions of the cycle are combined. And then the author walks through the, the, the third occasion of grumbling, the second cycle, with its disastrous outcome. So that's kind of the, the structure and, and outline of these two chapters. Let's now consider uh, these three occasions of grumbling more closely by considering the first occasion of contempt and, and confrontation within the first cycle. Read Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 to 11 now. Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 to 11. Now Korah, the son of Izar, son of Cothan, son of Levi and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with a number of people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning... The Lord will show who is His and who is holy and will bring Him near to Him. To the one whom He chooses, He will bring near to Him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company. 
Put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to Himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation and to minister to them and that He has brought you near to Him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together what is Aaron that you grumble against him? Well, in verse 3, Korah's contempt for Moses and Aaron is clear. From his vantage point, they have exalted themselves above everyone else. And how telling it is that Moses, he immediately gets low. He falls on his face. Is Korah's contempt really aimed at Moses and Aaron, though? Is that who he really has a problem with? No, according to verse 11, Korah has really set himself against the Lord. The confrontation is set up in verses 4 through 11. There will be a test involving censers and incense. Censers were a kind of bowl or pan, often used in worship. And here's how this, this test, this confrontation will work. Moses calls the rightful priests and those who are attempting to claim the rights to be priests to offer incense to the Lord in these censers. The Lord will then reveal whose incense He will receive. In the words of verse 5, the Lord will show who is His and who is holy. And this is where our passage connects to the Scripture reading that we heard earlier in the service from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14-26. In that passage, the Apostle Paul likens the opponents of the truth those who were upsetting the faith of some in the church, to those who were part of Korah's rebellion. Like Moses, Paul was confident that God would vindicate his servants and his truth. The irony of this scene is that according to verse 10, the men who accuse Moses of exalting himself are seeking the exalted office of priest, while accusing Moses of endeavoring to set himself up over others they are trying to set themselves up over others too. Well, in verse 12, the scene shifts to another episode of contempt and confrontation, that of Dathan and Abiram. Read Numbers chapter 16, verses 12 to 15 now. Numbers 16, verses 12 to 15. And Moses sent a call to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, We will not come up. It is a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself a prince over us moreover you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards will you put out the eyes of these men we will not come up and Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, and I have not harmed one of them. Well, these verses show us that Korah's contempt for Moses was not a unique disposition within Israel. 
Dathan and Abiram are angry with Moses for having brought them up out of Egypt. Notice how Egypt is cast. Egypt is cast as the land flowing with milk and honey. That's how the promised land of Canaan is described over and over again in the Old Testament. They're looking back, Dathan and Abiram, they're people, they're looking back on their days in Egypt with longing. The only problem is that these men are upset with Moses and Aaron for their own rebellion and refusal to enter the promised land. Why don't they have the inheritance of fields and vineyards? It was because they refused to obey the Lord and enter the promised land. There's an implicit confrontation between Moses and these men when Moses angrily requests that the Lord will not respect or receive their offering. In Numbers chapter 16, verses 16 to 35, we receive the report of the combined condemnation of Korah Dathan and Abiram. Read Numbers chapter 16, verses 16 to 35. Begin in verse 16. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer. 250 censers, you also, and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took a censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram. The elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die, as all men... Or if they're visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods, so that they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol. And the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up, and fire 
came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering incense. Here we learn that the Lord condemned the sin of the men who despised Him. The Lord condemned the sin of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Verse 25. As you recall, when Moses constructed the test in the confrontation, he promised that the Lord reveal those who were His and those who were holy. The Lord had ordained that only Aaron and the priests under His house could serve in the tabernacle. The Lord had already ordained authorized servants. Korah and his lot were not among them. The Lord threatened to condemn and wipe out the whole congregation. But Moses and Aaron pled for mercy. The men who had been sinned against pled for mercy. The Lord allowed the rest of the congregation to back away from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And when they did, the ground opened up and swallowed them whole. Additionally, those men who were holding the censers were consumed in God's holy wrath and fire. They were not authorized to serve as priests and offer incense, and so they were condemned and consumed. The Lord revealed those who were His. Now, in our modern sensibilities, we have difficulty believing that the earth would open up and swallow a massive group of people. We have difficulty believing that fire can come out of nowhere to consume people alive. I'm not going to point you to some internet article which gives natural explanations for massive sinkholes. I'm not going to point you to some article which explains random instances of fire breaking out. Because what happened here cannot be explained by natural phenomena. The Lord divinely intervened in the created order to make His judgment and condemnation clear. These were supernatural acts by a supernatural God who can do with His creation as He pleases precisely because it is His creation. The Lord condemned those who were rebelling against Him. And at one level, we could say that in verse 31, Moses' leadership was confirmed immediately after he stopped speaking and the earth opened up. But in Numbers chapter 16, verses 36 to 40, we're actually given additional confirmation that not only was Moses the Lord's chosen servant, but Aaron and his sons were also his chosen servants. Read Numbers 16, verses 36 to 40. Numbers 16, verses 36 to 40. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, to take up the censers out of the blaze, then scatter the fire far and wide, for they have become holy. As for the censers of these men who had sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, for they offered them before the Lord, and they became holy. Thus they shall be assigned to the people of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers which those who were burned had offered, and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar, to be a reminder to the people of Israel, so that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah and his company, as the Lord said to him through Moses." 
Eliezer, son of Aaron, and representative of those rightly belonging to the priesthood, is instructed to gather the censers that were in the hands of those who were condemned for attempting to lay claim to the priesthood. Those men sinned at the cost of their lives. And as a result, their censers were made into a sign and symbol, warning those who would attempt to lay claim to the priesthood apart from the ordination of the Lord. Through a negative statement in verse 40, we're told that the descendants of Aaron and only the descendants of Aaron are to draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he be condemned like Korah and his company. That is how the first two occasions of grumbling and the first cycle of grumbling comes to a close. But sadly, the first cycle gives way to a second. And it begins in verse 41 of Numbers 16. Read Numbers chapter 16, verse 41. Remembering that all of this has just taken place, read the opening words of verse 41. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Now, I'm sure you have all heard the expression that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. In, in 1905, George Santayana published a five-volume work entitled The Life of Reason, in which he famously said, quote, that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Well, in Numbers chapter 16, verse 41, the people of Israel remember the past, but they repeat it. The people of Israel don't take any responsibility for their own grumbling or contempt, but instead they blame Moses for the deaths of their fellow countrymen. Moses and Aaron, this is all your fault, they say. They take the side of Korah and Dathan and Abiram instead of Moses and Aaron and the Lord. Notice, too, we're now looking at the whole congregation, not just a few select households. Verse 41, but on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. Grumbling spreads like wildfire. Have you ever noticed how grumbling and complaining is contagious? Children, youth, young adults, have you ever noticed that when you complain, others join you? Has your uh, brother or sister ever joined you in complaining when you are asked to clean the house by your parents? Oh, I don't want to do that. And suddenly somebody else joins in. Oh, I don't want to do that either. Or, or what about when you're in class? Your teacher gives you an assignment. Oh, no, not, a, not another book report. And somebody else, the guy next to you, oh, not another book. Have you ever noticed how people will join you and you're grumbling and complaining? Be careful when you grumble because you lead others into grumbling too. Talk with your parents about why we grumble. And about why we need Jesus to work in our hearts, in our grumbling hearts. Grumbling always grows and spreads. 
not only do we tend to involve more and more people in our grumbling, but we also tend to blow our complaints out of proportion, don't we? The problem keeps getting bigger as we keep talking about it and keep grumbling about it. Well, the situation in Israel has moved from bad to worse. The Lord confronts His people and condemnation comes in verses 42 through 46. Read Numbers chapter 16, verses 42 through 46. And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of the meeting. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire on it off from the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. The glory of the Lord has appeared once before in these chapters. And in these verses we learn that it appears again. Again the Lord threatens to wipe out all of Israel. And again, Moses and Aaron fall on their faces. The men who had been sinned against fall on their faces. They fall on their faces in grief at Israel's sin. Moses knows that something must be done, not simply to stop God's wrath, but to satisfy God's wrath against sin. Moses knows that atonement must be made. And that's what he instructs Aaron to do next. Read Numbers chapter 16, beginning in verse 47. We're going to read through the end of our passage. Numbers chapter 16, verse 47. So Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and get from them staves, one for each father's house, from all their chiefs, according to their father's houses, twelve staves. Write each man's name on his staff. And write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them in the tent of meeting before the testimony, where I meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against you. Moses spoke to the people of Israel. And all their chiefs and gave him and their chiefs gave him staffs, one for each chief according to their father's houses, twelve staffs. And the staff of Aaron was among their staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of testimony. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms, and it bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from before the Lord to all the people of Israel, and they looked. And each man took his staff. And the Lord said to Moses, Put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony, to be kept as a sign for the rebels, that you may make an end 
of their grumblings against me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, as the Lord commanded him. So he did. And the people of Israel said to Moses, Behold, we perish, we are undone, we are all undone. Everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of the Lord, shall die. Are we all to perish? The plague of God's wrath comes to a conclusion when the Lord accepts Aaron's atonement for the sins of the people. And I don't know about you, but I was struck by the fact that Aaron ran. Aaron interceded for the people of Israel as fast as he could. He ran to get ahead of the plague of God's wrath that was tearing through the camp. And when he finally got ahead of the plague, it was stopped. And so he stood between the living and the dead. Now think about this. Think about how this all began. Again, it began with Aaron having been sinned against. He had been held in contempt by the people of Israel, and yet he flew to their relief. What a faithful and forgiving high priest. The plague stopped because the Lord accepted Aaron's ministry. And here we see that his ministry is confirmed. Indeed, it's given a double confirmation with the budding of his staff. God confirmed to all the people of Israel that he had chosen Aaron as the one who would stand between them and God to make atonement for their sins. In Numbers chapter 17, verse 5, the Lord said that he would give this sign of confirmation so that the grumblings would cease, so they come to an end. The grumblings did cease. The grumblings of all the people came to an end with a question. Are we all to perish? And there you have it. Three instances of grumbling recorded in two cycles. But why? Why do we have these three instances of grumbling here? in the book of Numbers. We have these three instances of grumbling here in Numbers in part to heighten our understanding of the importance of the priesthood. God's people needed a mediator, an ordained, authorized mediator to intercede for them where they had sinned. The importance of the priesthood is going to be stressed in Numbers chapter 18 too. But there's yet another reason that we have these stories about grumbling. In reminding his readers of the need and the importance of the priesthood, Moses is telling us something about God's people. They sin. We sin. In these stories, we are reminded that God has purpose to save sinners. God has redeemed the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. He has purposed to bring them into the promised land. He remains committed to His promises to them, and yet His people grumble against Him. In this we see and learn that God has purposed to save those who grumble against Him. He has purposed to save people like you and people like me. And we are not reading these stories appropriately if we do not see in them a mirror to our own hearts. We are those who have grumbled in our hearts against God. We are those who sadly still do grumble against God in our hearts. And so we need to see what is at the heart of Israel's grumbling in these chapters and reflect on the grumbling that goes on in our own hearts. 
So let's turn now and consider our second point, our next point, the heart of grumbling. And here I simply want to draw out a few important lessons that we learn about our own hearts in these chapters. First, from these chapters we learn that grumbling grows in a heart that is discontent with God's providence. Grumbling grows in a heart that is discontent with God's providence. In Numbers chapter 16, verses 8 to 10, Moses points out that Korah is discontent with the position that God has called him to serve in. They were called to serve around the tabernacle. They were called to physically move the pieces of the tabernacle when the people of Israel moved. Korah was discontent with being called to serve around the tabernacle. That was not enough for Korah and his clan. Korah wanted to serve within the tabernacle and have a claim to those special priestly duties. Korah wanted more than God had providentially given him. And that is why Moses told him in verse 11 that his complaint was not aimed at Aaron, but at God. Moses said, It is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. Christian, do you, do you realize this about your own grumbling? That when you express discontentment, when you grumble against God's providence, you are grumbling against the Lord. We, we all have unfulfilled dreams and we're often disappointed by things in this life. And at one level, it's, it's okay to be disappointed as long as that disappointment does not lead to being discontent with God's providence and grumbling against Him. Even, even in the midst of very challenging things, we must recognize that God is working all things together for the good of His people. And grumbling against God impugns God's character as it calls into question His wisdom and goodness. And let's be honest, too often we're discontent and we grumble against the Lord. So, sometimes we, we complain about our coworkers or our, our commute or our children or our spouse or our house or our friends or our elders or our church. We complain about other things too. Like Korah, we have wanted more than what God has given. Or we've wanted something different than what God has given. But let's pause and reflect for a moment that in actuality, our complaints often reveal more about us than we care to admit. They reveal more about us than our circumstances. Our complaints often reveal our desires and our idolatry. They reveal that our hearts are tied to the values of this world rather than the values of God and His Word. Like Korah, we want something that God has not given us. And our grumblings reveal that we begrudge God's providence rather than rejoice in it. And some of us here this morning need to stop trying to keep up with the world. All of us here this morning need to stop trying to keep up with the world in various ways. We need to stop trying to keep up with the world so that we can get what God has not given us. We need to stop trying to conform our lives to the patterns of this world. 
so that we can get what God has not given us in His kind providence. As Christians, God in His providence has given us different priorities and values. And I would even argue that He's given us better priorities, purposes, and values. You know, so, for, for example, about patterns, once in a while, some of us need to keep our kids up late on a school night because fellowship with other believers is more important. Some of us may need to gently tell our bosses no because your marriages and families need more attention and care. You can get a new job, but you cannot get a new spouse. And you cannot get back the time lost with your kids. And, and there's an opposite danger to that too. That we so idolize our families that we don't spend any time serving or discipling other church members. Some of you may need to forego the extra pay of working overtime because it's killing your spiritual life. As long as we keep trying to conform our lives to the patterns of this world, I can promise you this. We will be discontent with God's providences. We will grumble against Him rather than giving ourselves to His loving guidance and care. Grumbling grows in a heart that's discontent with God's providence, God's plans, God's call upon our lives. Grumbling also grows in hearts where humility is absent and pride is present. Grumbling grows in hearts where humility is absent and pride is present. Hearts that want to be God and rule as God are not filled with humility but pride. See, that's part of the expression of trying to rearrange the pattern that God has called us to. Is we want to change the pattern because we want to rule as God. Korah and his clan, they, they wanted more. He accused Moses of exalting himself, but that's exactly what Korah was after, an elevation of position and prestige. And too often, grumbling misunderstands that the position of a servant means sacrifice. In particular, the service of the priest was dangerous. They not only offered sacrifices on behalf of the people of Israel, but their work and kind of their lives by the nature of their structure was a sacrifice of ease and comfort. They were given deadly duties among the people of Israel. They were mediators between a holy God and a sinful people. And they themselves were sinners. The work was intense and inherently dangerous. Brothers and sisters, are we seeking to serve? Or are we seeking to be served? Is there an area of service in your home or in your workplace or in your church that you think is beneath you? Jesus cleaned dung off the feet of his disciples. That duty was reserved for the lowest servant in the house. It was a humiliating task. But Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, took that task up to show his disciples, to show us, that following him means that there is no task too low for us. When opportunities for menial service are put before you and the thought comes to your mind, well, I don't want to do that. And maybe you should push against your initial reaction and serve. 
I've learned a lot from our brother William Smith, who has often said, as a Christian, the presumption is to serve. And I think William is exactly right. After all, our Savior in Mark 9, verse 35 said, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Grumbling grows in hearts where humility is absent and pride is present. Grumbling also grows in a heart where thankfulness is absent. Grumbling grows in a heart where thankfulness is absent. Did you notice the complete and utter lack of thankfulness in Numbers chapter 16, verse 13? If you look at that verse, Dathan and Abiram are utterly ungrateful that they no longer live in Egypt under the rule of Pharaoh. They are ungrateful for their freedom. And here we see that grumbling tends to rewrite the past too. Dathan and Abiram rewrite history to paint their time in Egypt in bright and beautiful colors. Have they forgotten that Pharaoh murdered their children at birth? Have they forgotten their heavy chains? Have they forgotten being forced to labor under Pharaoh's harsh working conditions? Have they so quickly forgotten God's kindness in freeing them from slavery? They fear dying in the wilderness. But have they forgotten that God has provided food for them every day, every step of the way? In the sin of grumbling, we tend to lie to ourselves about the past. Or, or we listen to the lies of the evil one. Grumbling blinds us as we build a case for an alternate reality that we think we deserve. We start to say to ourselves, those, those were the good old days. I had it much better when I was living in Egypt. That is one of the first steps back on the road to being ensnared by old sins again. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but when I fail to remember what God has done for me in Christ, when I fail to give thanks to God, my heart is more open and exposed to temptation. Grumbling grows in a heart that refuses to remember God's past kindness and grace and so give thanks. And there's, there's so much more that we could fruitfully explore in thinking about the heart of grumbling. Uh, we could think about how grumbling is an expression or a desire of self-rule or rejection of God. We can think about how grumbling is linked to deflecting responsibility away from ourselves and towards others. After all, remember the congregation accused Moses and Aaron of killing their own countrymen. When, when really, they brought God's judgment upon themselves. We can think about how grumbling is fundamentally an attack on God. But I just want to think about one last thing. We've already touched on it just a little bit. I want one last thing with regard to the heart of grumbling. I want us to think about the danger that our grumbling hearts are to others. The danger that your grumbling heart is to others. Think about Korah. Through his grumbling, he persuaded others, even beyond those 250 men with censers, to join him in his grumbling. Dathan and Abiram joined him too. Korah's sin of grumbling spread like gangrene. He and many others with him were swallowed up by the earth. He led many men down to their death. And then what happened the next day? The whole congregation grumbled. 
Brothers and sisters, let's not lead others into sin through our grumbling. And let's not join others in sin by joining them in their grumbling. Sometimes we think that we're just kind of sympathizing with someone else. But really what we're doing is joining them in their grumbling and feeding their own grumbling hearts and ours. For the unity and the well-being of our congregation, let's be careful not to grumble to one another or against one another. Sadly, our hearts are filled with grumbling. But here is some potentially good news and some potentially bad news. All grumbling will come to an end. All grumbling will come to an end. And this is what I want us to turn and briefly now consider, the end of grumbling. The end of grumbling. You'll notice in Numbers chapter 17, verse 10, that the budding of Aaron's staff was to be a sign for the rebels that the Lord designed to make their grumblings come to an end. The Lord wants grumbling to come to an end. And what was the response of those who saw Aaron's staff bud? Their grumbling came to an end. They immediately feared that they would come to an end, that they would perish. Chapter 17 concludes with that question, are we to perish? The remaining people of Israel feared that they would perish just like those who died in the plague. They knew that they were rebels at heart and that they survived only because Aaron made atonement for them. Perhaps they feared that they would perish because they knew that their hearts were inclined toward grumbling. And if you're honest with yourself, then you know that your own heart is inclined toward grumbling. To grumbling against God. Every human heart on this earth is inclined toward grumbling against God. It seems that there is no end to grumbling. But here's the truth about the end of grumbling. There are actually two ends. Two ends to grumbling. There are two ends to grumbling. Because of your rebellion, you will either perish under the plague of God's eternal wrath, or you will be saved by a mediator who stands between you and the living God and makes atonement for the forgiveness of your sins. There are two ends to grumbling and only two ends. We will either perish in our, in our sin or we will be saved from the plague of God's wrath. Friends, we have all sinned and grumbled against God. Every one of us. We have all said, God, I want more. God, I want to live life my own way. Thank you very much. Like Korah, we have all exalted ourselves. Like Dathan, we have all said to God, no thanks, you're not going to tell me what to do. We have all rebelled against God. And therefore, we are all deserving of facing the plague of God's eternal wrath. What will your end be? Will you perish? Will you perish under the plague of God's eternal wrath? Or will you meet a different end? There is another end. And these two chapters point beyond themselves to the ultimate hope of those who grumble. So let's turn now and consider our fourth and final point. The hope of those who grumble. In these, if these two chapters teach us anything, they teach us that we need a mediator like Moses and Aaron. They fell on their faces and pled with God even when they had been sinned against. Aaron ran. He went out among the people of Israel to save them and stop the plague of God's wrath. 
Friends, the Bible teaches us that in order to spare sinners from the plague of God's wrath, God the Father sent His one and only Son to walk upon, as we sang about this guilty sod. He sent His Son to die for sinners like you and me. God sent His one and only most beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live and die and be raised from the grave so that all who believe in Him might not perish but have eternal life. In John's Gospel we learn that the eternal Son of God took on flesh and He he dwelt among us. Just as Aaron ran among the Israelites, so the eternal Son of God lived and walked among humanity. Jesus was not just a faithful servant. He was a faithful and sinless servant. He never once sinned or grumbled in His heart against God the Father. He never told the Father no. Aaron was a sinner. Jesus was not. Aaron was a great high priest. Jesus was an even greater high priest because he was without sin. Aaron would have to make atonement over and over and over again for the sins of the people of Israel. But Jesus made atonement once. Once. Listen to what we learn about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus sat down because he had finished his work. Jesus' one sacrifice was what the hundreds and hundreds of sacrifices that Aaron offered and his sons offered were pointing forward to. Friend, if you are here this morning and you are not a believer or follower, of Jesus Christ, then I want you to understand this. You do not have to perish in your sins. You and I and everyone here deserves to perish in our sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Because we have sinned against the eternal God through our our grumbling and through other countless ways, we deserve to reap the eternal payment of our sins in punishment. But the good news of the Bible is that we don't have to perish in our sins. We do not have to perish because Jesus made atonement for the sins of all of those who never turned from their sins and placed their faith in Him. When He gave up His life on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, He bore the plague of God's eternal wrath for sinners like you and me. Through His death, He stopped the plague of God's wrath against the sins of His people. But he did not stay dead. Three days after his death, God the Father raised him from the dead, raised Jesus from the dead, vindicating him and proving to us all, confirming to us all that God had accepted his payment for sin. So friend, I I urge you to turn from your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ today. I urge you to confess that you have sinned against the Holy God. I urge you to confess that you have been deserving of his wrath but that you put your hope and faith in His one and only most beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus Christ, believing that He lived for you the life that you have not lived. Believe that He perfectly obeyed the Father for you. Believe that He died for you the death that you deserve to die for your sins. 
and believe that he was raised in the grave for you so that you might be accepted as righteous in God's sight and given the inheritance in heaven that God has promised for his people. And if you want to know more about what it means to believe that Jesus has made atonement for your sins and that he is the hope of those who grumble, then please do find me at the door after the service or talk with a friend or family member that you came here with this morning. There's nothing more important and more uh, joy-filled than this good news that you could talk about or think about this morning. Well, we should conclude. I began this sermon by mentioning one Puritan minister's reflection on grumbling, and I want us to conclude by hearing from another. I mentioned Jeremiah Burroughs in his book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, in uh, the beginning of the sermon. And his reflection on these two chapters, number 16 and 17, he concludes that grumbling is beneath the Christian. Another Puritan minister, Thomas Brooks, reached the same conclusion. Thomas Brooks wrote, Murmuring suits none so badly as saints. In other words, grumbling sounds worse on the lips than saints than anyone else. Brooks wrote, Is Christ not your treasure? Is heaven not your inheritance? And will you murmur? Has God not given you a changed heart, a renewed nature, and a sanctified soul? And will you murmur? Has He not given you Himself to satisfy you, His Son to save you, His Spirit to lead you, His grace to adorn you, His covenant to assure you, His mercy to pardon you, His righteousness to clothe you? And will you murmur? Has He not made you a friend a son, a brother, a bride, an heir. And will you murmur? Brothers and sisters, may God make an end of all of our grumbling because our great high priest has made an end of all of our sin. Let's pray together.